0: The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. Sixty seconds after you die, can you imagine? The other side, the unknown, heaven is real. So is hell. Imagine heaven. It's better than that. To be made. forever changed, transformed, and ushered into His presence, the holy city of God, finally knowing what it's like, what is life and light of eternity. Your soul will never die. So what awaits after all of this life? That is eternity. I appreciate the time off last week. I had a good time, and uh, but I missed you. I miss being here, and I, I really mean that. I uh, I really hate to miss, and uh, I told you before, I have a church that I attend down there that I made some really good friends, but I didn't go Sunday, uh, and I, I actually think I had a, well, I don't know. I didn't go because it was pouring down rain, and uh, I was in my two-wheel drive truck, and I don't think I could even get out of our our uh, campsite. So I said, "I don't, I don't think I'm going to chance this." So I did miss uh, being with my friends down there, and I miss being with you. But I got me a good beard going. It was good, Ron. It looked good, didn't it? <laughs> Ron seen it up till yesterday, and Denise wouldn't even kiss me hardly, so I kept it as long as I could, you know, uh, so, uh, I, sh- I shaved it, that went over a lot of y'all's heads right there, <laughs> uh, I, sh- <laughs> I shaved it off this morning, but, uh, I did have a good time and I appreciate it, and I understand that, uh, you had a good preacher last week, uh, I enjoy listening to him speak, and uh, he enjoys coming here, so it it worked out for all of us. Uh, This morning, we're going to, again, as I said, be in Luke chapter 16, down in verse 19, when we look at at two men's death. And uh, death is never really a pleasant subject, of course. Uh, Perhaps that's why that we're reluctant even to discuss uh, death in so many uh, occasions and there's so many misconceptions about what happens when we die. My past two sermons uh, that we've looked at in this series called Eternity is the first was what happens a, a minute after you die or a second after you die and in my last sermon we looked at heaven. It's more than you can imagine and uh, that was such a fun sermon to preach and we just touched the tip of the iceberg uh, I have a book, and I referred to this book last week, and I would uh, encourage you to read it. It's called Heaven. That's the title of the book, and it's written by Randy Alcorn. And uh, it's a great description of heaven, and he uses a lot of scripture. He uses a lot of uh, of things in the Bible that we read through and we might not really look at to describe what heaven is really like. I love talking about that subject of heaven, uh, but today we're going to talk about hell, And hell is real, and it's not funny. Uh, That's the title this morning, and and as we think about this, Jesus never reveals the rich man's name as he talks about the rich man and Lazarus here in Luke chapter 16. Maybe it's because uh, he was someone who was well-known. Maybe uh, there's different thoughts along that. Some say his name was Dives, but... That's not his name, that's a Latin word for rich man. So if you were reading and and it says there was Lazarus and Dives, well, that word is really just the rich man, so that's what it means. But here's something interesting, I thought. A survey by the U.S. News and World Report says this, 64% of Americans believe that there's a hell, 64%. Now, this, is, this, this data is pretty old. The article I saw is this, 10 years old. And what's surprising about this poll is that more people believe in hell today than they did in 1950, and more people believe in hell today than they did even 10 years ago. So if you talk to people and uh, and and ask them about hell, the debate is not is does hell exist? Because a lot of people believe that hell exists, but I guess the question is what is it and where is it and and how long does it last? Because when you get into those types of discussions, you hear some really crazy ideas about hell. And, and let me just give you some examples of that. Scientology, y'all, no doubt you've heard of Scientology. It has uh, uh, proponents such as John Travolta and uh, Tom Cruise. They're out leading in that area of Scientology. Here's what they believe about hell. They believe that, that heaven and hell are states of thoughts and not real places. So it's just what you think. It's just a state of your mind. You either have a, a thought in a mind of heaven or you have a thought in a mind of, of hell and, and people experience their own heaven or hell right here on earth. So they, their ideal is you're going to just live forever. Now, you may die out of this body, but you'll be raised in some other body. And in your mind, you'll either be in heaven or hell. It'll just be a, 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 a thought process of where you are. That's what they believe and teach. The Mormons argue, listen to this, the false doctrines that punishment is to be visited upon the erring souls is endless. It is unscriptural, unscriptural unreasonable, and revolting. That's what the Mormons teach. In other words, they would say today, if you're, if you're talking about hell from a pulpit, you're unscriptural, you're unreasonable, and you're revolting in your sermon today. That's what they would teach. Because they don't believe that, that there's a, a place of hell. The Jehovah Witness, they maintain that the wicked are annihilated. That's it. I mean, you, you live your life, you, you die a sinner, you, you're a wicked person, you're just gone. I mean, it's no more. It's just, the, it's just the end. Now, if you're a good person, you return to earth at some point in the future when Christ comes, and you just live on earth wherever you want to live, wherever your favorite place was. That's where you go. So if you're evil, boom, you're gone. If you're good... You just come back to Charleston live the rest of eternity right here in Charleston. I mean, that's what they teach. And, and, and that really is the truth. I've told you all this many times. I had a a great aunt that, that was a Christian. She was born again. Uh, she was a Baptist. And and uh, that doesn't make you anything but tied to a doctrine. But but she, pro, she professed that Jesus Christ was her Lord and Savior, and she was a born-again Christian. She moved up to the mountains in Arkansas and... For several years, she wasn't able to go to church. She never drove. Can you imagine that? And she lived to be, how old, Daddy? I mean, she probably lived to be 80 years old. Never drove a car. But you know what? Jehovah Witness came and they said, hey, we'll pick you up and we'll bring you to church. So they started taking her to church. They started taking her to church. You know what she did? They taught her that she would come back and she was going to live on that mountain in Arkansas. She went up in the caves in Arkansas Stored canned goods, blankets, quilts, because she was going to spend eternity there. I mean, that's what they teach. That's what Jehovah Witness teach, and that's more about uh, heaven uh, or what they call heaven. They they also teach that that nobody's going to heaven. It's here. It's already filled up. One hundred forty four thousand. They're filled. So if you're, you're not going to get there, the best you're going to do is here. Now that's what they teach. But but the 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 idea that there's there's really not a hell. That's their teaching. So what is hell? There's, there's kind of five common views, I think, about hell. And the first is this, it's denial. Some people simply hold that there's just no place as hell. And if someone stands up and preaches or teaches about hell, all we're doing is trying to scare somebody into believing what we believe. So those that hold that ideal, there's no hell, but churches and preachers and Sunday school teachers get up and they say there's a place of hell and you're just trying to scare everybody. That they'll believe what you want them to believe. I want to tell you the truth this morning. This is not a pleasant subject. Matter of fact, some of you may already be thinking, man, I wish I'd have missed this one. I'd have stayed home if I'd have known. That's why we didn't advertise it. But but I promise you, it, it's not fun putting a message together about hell. Because really, we don't want to hear about it. But did you know that Jesus mentions hell 56 times in the gospel How many times does He mention heaven? Twenty-four. So He talks about hell twice as much in the Gospels as He does heaven. Who would have ever thought that? Jesus came proclaiming the good news, but He taught twice as much about hell. And I would say me and most preachers, we spend very little time talking about hell because it's a subject that we just don't enjoy thinking about we don't enjoy talking about and you probably don't enjoy hearing about but we cannot deny that there's a there's not a hell unless, unless we deny that there's not a christ because if we say there's no hell then the bible's not real if we say there's no hell then there's no reason for jesus christ so we can't take one and deny the other. Hell is a real place. Here's the second thought. Some believe that hell speaks of earthly suffering. In other words, they believe that hell are the bad things you go through on earth. And, and there's probably people that have maybe even said that. I've lived through hell on this earth. We hear that, don't we? I was thinking about that song that, that, that the, the author or the writer of the song, I can't remember who it was, says, Lord, give her my share of heaven because she's had hell here on earth. You know, that's the thought of so many people is all the bad things you experience on this side of heaven is hell. Hell. But there's no literal place. A third thought is a belief that hell is annihilation. And that's what we talked about with with the Jehovah Witness. They just believe that, hey, you live your life, you're gone, you're annihilated, and that's it. That's what they believe hell is. It's It's just an end. And for us to teach about anything beyond that is simply a wasting of our time. But that's not true. Hell is a real place. And the fourth thought is this, that that it's a belief that there's restoration that will ultimately come. Now, a lot of people hold to this belief. They believe there's a hell, and people who's never accepted Christ will go to that place, but while they're there, they'll work their way out of hell. That they'll be able to have a certain amount of time there, a certain amount of, of punishment, and then after so long, they're going to end up in heaven anyway. So, hell's not that bad. You're going to be punished. You're going to go to the the office and get a couple of licks. But, you know, after you get over it, you're going to end up in heaven anyway. Well, folks, if that's true, we might as well shut the doors and go home because we're all going to go to heaven in the end anyway. Why waste our time up here? Why go and spread the gospel? We're all going to go to heaven that's, that's that thought there. And the, the fifth model, and it's the only model that's supported by scripture, is this, is the belief that hell is a real place. And here's where it becomes really unpopular. It's a place of unending torment. That's what hell is. And that's what the Bible teaches, that, that, that is a real place of eternal suffering. And you hear this question from people. I bet you everybody here, here has heard this. How could a loving God send someone to hell? I mean, you hear that question if you get serious about talking about hell and somebody says, well, you say that God is love, and if God loves me, how could he send me to somewhere that that's hell? Now, we don't have time to address all of those questions, but I want to answer it with this one question, if you watch some of the shows I watch on TV, I don't watch anything on 4, 5, 8, or 11, but I watch stuff on uh, uh, some other channels. But, but if you have a serial killer... And you go through the process of watching how they found him and how they put all these links together and how all the evidence comes together and and evidence from his home, from his car, from his clothing, uh, all of these things together. And he goes to trial and the judge sits up there and hears all of this information and all of this evidence. And then the judge says, I find you guilty and your punishment is death. Does anybody say, how does a judge send him to death? We don't ask that question, do we? Because we say, okay, it's not the judge's fault. He made that decision. That's how we answer that. That's how we reason that, isn't it? We don't blame the judge that he told this guy or this lady, you're going to spend... The rest of your life in prison or you're going to spend a few years in prison and then there's going to be a a death penalty come to you. We don't question that judge, but we want to question God. And the answer is the same. The person makes that decision. That murderer made that decision. And the judge is simply upholding the law. And the same is true when it comes to Jesus Christ, the story that we see here in Luke chapter 16. We're going to read this once again. It's the story of the lives, the death, and the destinies of two different men. And both men died, both of them passed through death portal, and it's amazing reversal of, of their situations occurred, and the poor man had little in life, and uh, he died and was carried by the angel to God's presence, and his faith rewarded him a, a, a heaven, eternity in heaven, and then the rich man, he had so much in life, he died, and a split second after he awoke, he woke in a, a terrifying place called hell, and, and through the experiences of this man... Jesus gives us just a glimpse into hell. And it's, uh, it's brief, but it's powerful enough, I think, that we can get uh, enough information to destroy a lot of the misconceptions about hell. And here we go. There was a rich man, and this is Luke chapter 16, and this is starting in verse 19. There was a rich man, or a certain rich man, who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously in every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who laid at his gate desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom, which remember we talked about this a few weeks ago. That's just another uh, uh, way to say heaven. Uh, To Abraham's bosom, the rich man also died and was buried. Verse 23, And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus in his bosom, notice that most of this story, even has more to do with the rich man, doesn't it? It says the beggar was died and he went to the he went to heaven and then the rest of the story is about uh, is about the rich man. I may have said that backwards, but y'all know what I'm talking about. So it was that uh, being in torment in heaven, he lifted his eyes up and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in his flame. Verse 25, Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus' evil things, but now he is comforted where you are tormented. And beside all of this, between you and us is are the great gulf fix." so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Send Lazarus to them, for somebody raised up from the dead, they would believe. Verse 29, Abraham said to him, They have Moses and prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if anyone goes from the dead, then they will repent. Verse 31, But he said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, even though one is raised from the dead. There's a few things I want to talk about this morning, just three. Uh, about this passage that tells us about hell. I want us to pray first again. Father, Lord, this morning, I pray that our ears would be open and attentive to your word. I pray, Father, that we would understand even what we sing about this morning, Father, that you have made a way, that you have given us an opportunity to spend a glorious life of eternity with you in a place prepared for us. Lord, I pray that we know today Satan would desire nothing more than this message to stop now, for our ears to be closed, and for our misconceptions to be lived out. But Father, I pray the truth of your word would be proclaimed today. Help me, help us to hear your truth, in Jesus' name, amen. From this passage, we see a couple of saying, here's the first, hell is a place of misery, that's what we see in this passage. That's verse 23 and 24. The rich man is said that he, he is to be in torment. And he begged for even the smallest amount of water to, to relieve some of his suffering. And as Jesus is describing this, he says of himself in verse 24, this is the rich man, I am tormented in this, fr- in this, in this flame. And, and Abraham uses the word tormented to describe the man's condition in hell. So when we think about that, it's, it's a place of, of misery. In verses 27 and 28, the rich man wants someone to go and warn his family. He begs that someone would go and, and tell them about this place, that they had not come to this place of torment. This is not the only place the Bible uses such graphic language to describe hell. In Matthew twenty five thirty, Jesus describes hell as a place of outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You all know what that is, don't you? That's, that's when you just grit your teeth at something. Jesus describes that outer darkness and that weeping and that gnashing of teeth. But listen to this. Liberal scholars for decades have been teaching that the Bible and hell is only a symbolic thing. I mean, that's what the liberals would have us believe. It's just a, a symbol of something. In, in the book, William Evans says the great doctrines of the Bible. That's the title of the book. This is what he says. Is the fire spoken of a literal fire? If it is an accepted law of language that a figurative of speech is less intense than reality, if fire is merely a figurative expression, it must stand for something of great reality. And if the reality is more intense than the figure, what an awful thing the punishment symbolized here by fire must be. Liberal writers take words, they twist them around, and they say, "You know, when we think about this, could it could it be that bad? Really? I mean, is it really is it really something that's that's really that awful, or is it just words?" Using again, we go back to that idea of of well, the preacher just trying to scare somebody this morning. That that's the thought here. When Jesus describes hell as a place of outer darkness in Matthew twenty five thirty, it's kind of hard to imagine the outer darkness and fire. You know, if you're, if you're, in a, if, if you're out in a, the dark and there's no light around and you just strike up a match, it just lights up the whole movie. Boy, you watch a Western. They light a lamp, it'll light up a whole house, you know, just one lamp. And, and it's kind of hard to imagine that, isn't it? But, but if you go and study about some mines that are worked deep, deep, deep underground, I'm talking about three kilometers down, it said that in that place, these are miners, there's a place of total darkness and insufferable heat. The heat is so extreme that it can only be tolerated for a few minutes at a time. This is this is three kilometers down. And those temperatures in these mines is 70 degrees Celsius or 158 degrees Celsius. Fahrenheit, so Fahrenheit. So it's possible to have unending heat and total darkness. We already have folks that are there that work in that environment. And when the Bible des- describes that, we don't have to say, well, those, those words can't go together, they don't fit together, because we already have that, we already have some ideals of that. And in verse 24, the rich man, he begged for even the smallest amount of water, to relieve his suffering. I think it's worth consideration that, that the, the thirst that the rich man had, listen, is the th- same thirst people have today. It's a thirst for God. And it can only be quenched by God through Jesus Christ. It's, it's a thirst that men have. And, and when you're away from the presence of God, when he was in that place of torment, he was out of the presence of God and he was thirsting for something. And listen to what Jesus said in John 7:37, "If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and he can drink." And when we think about that picture of that man who had denied Christ his whole life and, and, and when he was moved from the presence of Christ, he began to thirst. And the Lord says, "I am the one who can who give you water that's living that you would thirst no more." There's a, there's a writer, Erwin Lutzer. He was a pastor of, uh, I'll think of it here in a minute, but let, let me tell you what he said here. He said, The most sobering thought that can cross our minds is the fact that the rich man in hell has still not received that drop of water that he so desperately longed for. You know, if Put it in perspective. Some 2,000 years ago as Jesus told us and explained to us what hell and he explained the man that's there and, and how he was in torment and how he was thirsting, he still not received what he so desperately longed for. Here's the second thing this morning. Hell is a place of memory. We talked about this a little bit when we talked about heaven, it's even better than we can imagine. Well, hell is also a place of memory. Uh, in fact, hell is a place of, of constant misery, but it's a place of memory, and we, we find that here in verse 25. He, he Abraham says to him, Son, remember the things that you had on earth, remember all of those things. And again, this is Erwin Lutzer. He, he writes, he was a pastor of Moody Church in Chicago. He writes this, One minute after you die, that's the book he wrote, he says that hell is a region of of deprivation and unending regret. There, with all of their memories, all of the feelings fully intact, images of their life on earth will return to haunt them. They'll think back on their friends and family and relatives. They'll, They'll brood over opportunities they squandered and intuitively know that their future is both hopeless and unending. And for them, death will be far worse than they ever imagined. As he describes that place, it's a place of memory. In our text, the, the mind of the rich man is full of memories. He speaks of his brothers. He speaks of his family and his father's house. See, he didn't go to hell and all of a sudden forget all the things. He, he remembered those things he looked to Lazarus, and he remembered Lazarus, who who was there begging at his gate. It wasn't a, a thing that that his memory was all of a sudden gone, and he was there. I, there's no doubt that he remembered all the sermons that he had heard, and there's no doubt that he had remembered those people that that urged him to come and and follow Christ. There's no doubt that he remembered the things and the opportunities he squandered while he was here on earth. See, his memory was there. And it's a wonderful thing for us to teach and for us to think, you know what, we can work our way out of hell. It's just temporary. It's a wonderful thing to think, well, I went through hell on this earth and and one day I'm going to be in heaven and I'm not going to have to deal with that. The problem is it's not true. And the Bible teaches that it's not true. And we need to understand that hell is a real place. And on top of that, Abraham says, hey, there's a great chasm, there's a great gulf between us that, that we can't cross there and you can't cross here, even if we wanted to. It's, it's eternal. As much as we talked about two weeks ago, heaven and eternity in heaven, and how wonderful that's going to be. The truth is, there's a place in hell and, and it's much worse than we can imagine. And it's for all of eternity. You've probably heard of that classic book, Dante's Inferno. And he describes hell in this book. And a lot of what he uh, describes is just from the imagination. It's not scriptural. But, but there's one thing near the beginning of the book that, that goes right along with what the Bible says. And it goes along with our sermon this morning. And as the, the, the story sees an entrance into hell... There's a sign there over the entrance that says, Abandon hope, all you who enter here. Folks, that's certainly true. There's no hope after this life. Our destiny is set. It's decided this side of heaven and you decide and I decide. And, and from that point, once that decision is made and once we have died, there's no changing. There's no turning back. There's no redos. Hell is eternal. Heaven is eternal and we will spend eternity in one of those two places. And you make the decision and I make that decision here on earth. Here's the last thing this morning. Hell is a place of mourning. We see here that the rich man said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send to my father's house, for I have five brothers that they may testify to them, lest they come to this place of torment. Abraham said to them, They have Moses and the prophets. Let him hear them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if anyone comes to them from the dead, they'll repent. But he said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, even though one is raised from the death raised from the dead. We don't see the rich man uh, revealing or uh, reveling in the fact that his friends will be there. All oh, my f- my friends will be there. My, my family's going to be here with me. We see this man very much alone. He didn't say, well, I'm glad one day my brothers are going to join me here. I'm glad one day I'll have some family here with me to help me through these tough times. He didn't say, well, boy, when my brothers and friends get here, we're going to have a wonderful time. We're gonna turn this place around. That's how hell is characterized so many times, isn't it? Oh, it's gonna be great. We're gonna have a wonderful time. I'd rather be there where all my friends are. It's kind of described as a giant lounge where where folks can just come and party together and, and have all the things. There's gonna be a party going on, but it's gonna be in heaven. But you know what Satan says? Who wants to go to heaven? That's going to be boring. Wouldn't it be much funner to go to hell and just, just live a life just like, just like a, any other demon would live? And it, it's going to be a great place. You don't believe that? Y'all know who Ted Turner is? You've probably heard his name, if nothing else. He was the, he was the founder of Turner Broadcasting. He's speaking to a group of people at a national press club. Here's what Turner said. Heaven is going to be a mighty, splendid place. And most of the people I know aren't going to be there. There are going to be a few notable exceptions, and I'll miss them. Then the group laughs. Remember, heaven's going to be a perfect place, and I really don't want to be there. Those of us that go to hell, which will be most of us in this room, most journalists are certainly not going there. Again, laughter from the room. But when we all get to hell, we'll have a chance to make things better there. Because hell is supposed to be a mess. And heaven is perfect. And who wants to go to a place that's perfect? Boring, boring, boring. And the crowd laughs. That's kind of how it's portrayed, isn't it? Hey, hell's the place to be. That's where it's happening at. Who wants to go to heaven? Boring, boring, boring. Listen to Jake preach 7 days a week, 24 hours a day. Horrible thought to go to heaven. That's not what heaven's going to be like. It's not going to be anything. It's more than we can imagine. Someone needs to warn folks that heaven hell's not going to be a place where we can gather around and we can make things better with all our fam- friends and all our family. It's a place of torment, it's a place of mourning. It's a place of loneliness. I want to kind of bring this all to a conclusion. We're going to move out of this subject next week, but we're going to stay with eternity. There's four things that I want to close with, and I have time, I believe. The dead are still alive. That's the first thing. Remember this. The last three sermons, remember this. The dead are still alive. Both Lazarus and the rich man, they survived their funerals. they're, They're still alive. We think we live in the land of the living. We lived in the land of the dying. Eternity is the land of the living. And those, the rich man and Lazarus, they're in the land of the living. One in heaven, one in hell. The second thing The dead retain their personalities and their character. We know we talked about that in heaven. Lazarus is still Lazarus. The rich man is still the rich man. Even in hell, the rich man could see, he could hear, he could feel, he recognized, he remembered, he spoke, he reflected, he pleaded, he suffered, he thought ahead. I mean, they're still real people. They still have their, their character of who they are and who they were. There was only one thing he couldn't do. He couldn't get out of that situation, the rich man. Here's the third thing. Death marks the final separation between saved and lost. Once you're in heaven, you'll always be in heaven. You don't have to leave here this morning thinking, boy, I hope I go to heaven. What did we say? James said, these things are written that you may know you have eternal life. You can know. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to worry. Because once death comes, there's a mark there, and you'll always be in heaven. You'll always be in hell. It's according to what decision you make. Here's the last thing. Hell is real. But you don't have to go there. Isn't that great? I mean, hell's a real place, but we don't have to go there. Hell can be avoided if we listen to God's Word, if we respond to God's call. I I told you all this story one time. It was a a story back in the the Western days, and there was a judge in this town, and there's a runaway carriage coming through the town. And at the edge of the town, there was a great ravine, and, and it meant death for sure to the one in the carriage. And, and as the carriage ran through town out of control, a local judge ran out in front of the carriage and he took hold of the horses and he, he turned them and he stopped them. And the man got off the carriage and he was so grateful for the judge. And he said, Judge, you saved my life. And, and I owe you everything. And, and, and what can I do? And the judge said, Oh, I, I just did what anybody else would have done. He said, No, you, you risked your life to, to save mine. And then just a few days later, that same man, he, he committed a crime of murder. And he stood before the judge in a courtroom. And he looked up and he noticed it was the same judge that had uh, just a few days earlier had saved his life. And as the, the uh, defense failed in their case, and as the jury found the man guilty, he stood before the judge. And, and he said, Judge, remember me? Look at me just a few days ago. Don't you recognize me? I'm the one that was in the carriage. I'm the one that you ran out in front of and and risked your life that you might save mine. You saved me then. You can save me now. Have mercy on me. And the judge paused and said, Yes, yes. I do recognize you. And yes, I do remember you. But there's a big difference between what happened yesterday and what happened today. For yesterday, I was your Savior. But today, I'm your judge. And you know, Jesus today, He's a Savior. He gave His life that we might have life. And today, He stands with arms open wide and says, I'm your Savior, come to me all who will. The Bible teaches it this, He's our, ju- He's our defender, He's our advocate, that when we stand before God and God looks at us and says, what do you have to say? Jesus is going to be our judge, our advocate, our defender. He's going to say, God the Father, His debt is paid in full. I paid it on the cross. He's accepted my forgiveness and his debt is paid in full and God is going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. For others, God is going to ask, what have you done with my son, Jesus Christ? And the answer is nothing that I went to church, I heard sermons I gave, I was a good person, I helped others, I did everything I could. God's not interested in that. He's interested in what we will do with his son, Jesus Christ. The truth is God loves us. He doesn't want us to go to hell. The Bible says he never intended any human to go to hell. Did you know that? In Matthew 25, 41, listen to what he says. Jesus says, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into eternal fire. Here's the key. Prepared for the devil and his angels. That's what hell is for. It's for Satan and Satan's followers. That's why God created hell. He never intended for any of His creation to spend eternity in hell. The Bible says that He's patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but all of us to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. God is patient with us. How can a loving God send someone to hell? We asked that question earlier. I want you to think about this. We answered that in the fact that we make our decision today. Y'all know I like old westerns, and I was watching old Matt Dillon the other day, and uh, somebody had come, and he had spent years in prison, and his wife had gone on with her life, and uh, she had met new friends, and uh, he got, escaped from prison. He went and got her, and he, he said, you're going with me. I'm sorry, that was Ben Cartwright. I give you all the wrong guy. You may have watched that and said he's got it all mixed up. And, and uh, he, he, took, he, he took her off and, and uh, he said, you're going to love me. You're going to love me. And he just kept forcing himself that, that you're going to love me and, and you're going to love me and you're my wife and you're going to love me. And you know what she did? She hated him. And the more he forced himself upon her, the more he, she, she, the more she hated him. When we think about Jesus Christ, he says, I want to give you an opportunity to love me. And I want to call you and I want to invite you to come and, and I want you to surrender yourselves to me because I love you. But he's much too much of a gentleman to force his love upon us. You know why? We would respond the same way. If Jesus forced His love upon us, we wouldn't love Him in return. We would simply say, well, I've been forced to follow Christ. I've been forced to love God. So God says, I want to give you the chance. I want to give you the opportunity. I'm going to call you. I'm going to put a desire within your heart to come to me. I'm going to leave a void within you that only I can fill. But only you can make the decision will you follow I want to close with this one question. Pilate stood before a crowd of people. Jesus was there with Pilate. And Pilate looked at the crowd and said this, What will you do, and what will you have me do with this man called Jesus? I want you to bow your heads this morning. I want to ask you that question today. What will you do with this man called Jesus? As unpopular as hell is, it is a real place. It's a place that the Bible says more people will spend eternity there than in heaven. You remember it says the the road to destruction is wide, but the path to righteousness is narrow. Who will enter through the wide gate? Who will enter through the narrow gate? You know, God's not saying I'm going to make it hard to get to heaven. He's saying there's going to be a Great move and decision not to follow Christ. But I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Through me is the only way to heaven. I'm the gate. This morning, how would you respond? And what will you do with this one called Jesus? Father, I pray this morning as we come to a time of invitation, Father, I pray that we would know that heaven is real and it's better than we could ever imagine. It's not a long-born church service, but it's an opportunity of new beginnings, new discoveries. Being in the presence of the one who gave his life for us, as you reveal your mysteries to us day after day after day for all eternity. Father, that's such a pleasant thought, Lord, but I pray today that we would know that just as real as eternity in heaven, there's an eternity in hell. Father, you've made a way. Today, as our Savior, you invite us into yourself. Father, I pray that we know when we confess our sins to you, you're faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I pray, Father, that we know that when we come to you and we ask that your blood, the blood of your Son, Jesus, cleanse us from unrighteousness, that, we would, that you would come in and live in our heart, Father, that from that day on, we have a place with you. Lord, today, as your spirit moves, I pray that we would answer, what have I done with this man called Jesus? I pray your spirit would listen to unto yourself, and I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.